This is Beyond Your Limits with Rob Dubois. The podcast that helps you destroy self-limiting beliefs, unchain your potential, and create the meaningful life you were made for. And now here's your host, Navy SEAL founder of Impact Actual and the Impact Unchained course, Rob Dubois. In my SEAL career, I was battered, I was bashed, I had ribs twisted. I was seeing a doctor recently and he did an x-ray for my COVID lungs now that I'm coming out of COVID and recorded a image of my my rib cage that he, I said, do you see the ones that were twisted? And he said, what do you mean twisted? I said, twisted like a pencil. Doc told me they were rotated in my rib cage when I hit the ground on that bad parachute landing. That grossed the doctor out, which is kind of interesting. And they, those those healed in a matter of months, of course, but Everything else has been twisted and warped and, and uh, neck repaired by surgery and knee repaired and shoulder repaired and hip repaired and all the things that have been put back together. But I have never in all these years of boo-boos and the therapeutic years that follow, I've never had some of the most amazing things the human being can experience, like we'll be touching on today, the incredible challenge of leukemia, the incredible challenge of overcoming years and years of dealing with stuff that isn't caused by a ba- another bad parachute landing, as in my case. We're also going to be talking about life and critical thinking and the importance of how to be a whole human being when it comes to overcoming. My guest today is a friend, a brother from the teams, and I want to, I want to take the time to give you an actual little bio, which I normally don't do for, uh, for our guests on Beyond Your Limits. But let's Let's go right to the top of the uh, of the bio. Justin Legg is a retired Navy SEAL officer who graduated from the academy in 2000 with a BS in systems engineering. He was a member of basic underwater demolition slash SEAL training. You guys have heard that before, BUDS, class 234, which, by the way, is famous. And we'll ask him to talk about that in a little bit so you can go see the uh, show that Justin features in that was made by that class. Then he became a plank owner of SEAL Team 7. Plank owner, for those who aren't Navy, means somebody who was there at the founding of that organization. So he was one of the first SEALs at SEAL Team 7. With 7, he deployed to the Middle East twice and participated in combat operations in support of Iraqi freedom. When he got back from Iraq, he transferred to Special Boat Unit 22 in Mississippi, working as the Task Unit Commander and Team Training Officer. In 2006, Justin was diagnosed with a severe form of leukemia. Over the next 10 years, he endured over 75 treatments of chemotherapy and radiation, a bone marrow stem cell transplant, an immune disorder respiratory failure, and a double lung transplant. While going through all these medical adventures, Lieutenant Commander Legg fought to stay on active duty, performing various duties at Naval Special Warfare Group 2 and 4, SEAL Team 2, and even rehabbed himself well enough to become an operational SEAL platoon commander at SEAL Team 8 for a short bit between transplants. He medically retired in 2012 and became the first and still the only double lung transplantee in the world to climb Denali in Alaska. He completed his master's degree in international relations from the Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies in Washington, D.C., where he and I initially met. As with many SEALs that I am that are in my circles today and vice versa, we met after the teams. A lot of guys have connected through social media, which is a great way to uh, build business together and change the world together to keep serving together long enough we've taken off our uniforms. Justin, a long bio, a quick welcome. Uh, welcome to Beyond Your Limits. Thank you very much. And I have to say you did a remarkable job 
of getting all the medical terminology correct and even getting it in the right timeline. Many people have gotten it wrong and thought that I've had lung cancer or some other things, but yeah, there's a lot that goes into it and everything that you said is correct. Well, that's, uh, <laughs> that's such a critical part of the story. And that's the thing that I don't understand. You know, like I was saying in the intro, it's, it's impossible for me to understand how to persist and prevail through stuff like that. Uh, I, I, you know, it's, I, a great reference from that I've heard in cancer stories is you don't know how strong you are until you have to find out or something like that until you have to be so strong. And that's what I think about folks like you who have, have endured and do endure these unexpected curveballs from the universe that, that are incomprehensible for most of us. Most of us know somebody who's gone through it. Most of us know what it's nothing like what it's like to go through it. So you did hit on something, you know, very true that you don't know how strong you are until you have to do it. And I, I just like to put a pin in that for a second and add a few details to my medical history. So while I was overseas in uh, 2004, one of our last operations before we left theater, I, during a direct action raid, the last room in the entire complex that we went to was 10 buildings out in the middle of the desert. The only room that was locked, it was a chained shut steel door, whereas no other room even had a door for the most part. I kicked through this door for about 20 minutes because we had broken all of our tools and expended our breaching charges. When I finally broke the door and was about to pull it open, my point man threw in a crash grenade. We ripped the door open. I go in first. And as soon as I went in, I took a big breath of whatever terrible thing it was. And I put my elbows in the doorway, called it clear, and backed everybody else out of the room because I didn't want anybody else to get a lung full of what I just did. We don't know exactly what it is. We can come back to that you know, throughout the story later. There was definitely CS, which is you know what people commonly call tear gas, but there was something else. So immediately, you know, within about three seconds, I started having you know minor convulsions and started throwing up. And then throughout the rest of the night, I was periodically throwing up. So fast forward to 2006, while I'm at Special Boat Team 22 that you mentioned down in Mississippi, as I'm coming to the end of my tour, and going to my, what I believe I am going to my next tour at SEAL Team 8, I was doing a five-mile run. I've never been, not been able to do a five-mile run since I was in about eighth grade. My legs literally ground to a halt. So I went in to see the doc, and we had been working together for a little while because I had a lot of awkward pains, things that were going on that just weren't explainable. He finally went back to a basic test, and that's how we discovered I had leukemia. So 2006, I'm diagnosed with leukemia. I go through all of the chemo and, and treatments for that. We knew I need to go to a bone marrow transplant to have a good chance of survival. So we go to the bone marrow transplant in uh, October of 2006, go through that. You know, within a few months, I developed an autoimmune disorder from that. It's called graft-versus-host disease. So graft being the uh, 
the stem cells that you receive from your donor, you being the host, so that graft starts fighting the host. That's called don- donation rejection, right? It's different from a solid organ rejection. It's almost exactly the opposite of a solid organ rejection. And, and so I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. So in this case, you're getting, when you get a bone marrow transplant, you literally get the immune system of your donor replaces your immune system. So now you have somebody else's DNA, their blood, their white cells floating around your body, looking at everything that is yours and saying, this is foreign. This is not mine because that immune system is now in a new body. And so that's what causes that disease. Um, And it starts to try to attack you. So it attacked my eyes, my, it attacked my eyes, my liver, my lungs, my skin, my whole digestive tract. Now, normally this can be brought under control, you know, within a few years and everything settles down. Uh, in my case, it took several years to get all of the bad things to settle down, but my lungs were, uh, it would not stop attacking my lungs. So from 2006, when I got the bone marrow transplant, um, into early 2010, it continually pounded away at my lungs. Early 2010, uh, we went in for a biopsy of my lungs, which we thought they were going to be able to figure out something and stop this. That biopsy caused a spiral, which led me into respiratory arrest. My lungs stopped working. I went into a coma. Uh, woke up om- almost exactly two weeks later to find out that I was in a bad situation. Within three months, uh, I needed new lungs or I was going to die. And almost exactly three months later, I I got new lungs. So that was in July of 2010. Hmm. So from the time I was diagnosed with leukemia to the time I had new lungs, that was almost exactly four years. Four years and a month. Caused a lot of havoc in between. And then it caused a lot of havoc later on. So since then, I was still on active duty at that time when I got my new lungs. Returned to the teams. Was still trying to work out and stay with the teams, but we knew I was getting medically retired. That came along in early 2012. After I got out, I took some time to myself just to rehab to try and reset and figured out, you know, I needed a new degree to, to go on to something else. It was no longer feasible for me to be able to do something physical, um, like we had done in the teams and use those skill sets. And if I was going to go into something more academic, more office oriented based, that's, I needed a master's degree. So I did that international relations focused on, international economics and energy. So I went to work for a few years um, as a renewable energy consultant. Now I have moved into military strategy for the headquarters of one of the military services right now. I'm doing that, really enjoying the hell out of it. Uh, But along the way, uh, I've suffered a lot of complications with my heart. It just so happens that when your heart has its two best buddies, the lungs, cut away from it and replaced with two new best buddies. It really doesn't like it. And so I started developing arrhythmias. 
So in in that time frame in the past, let's say uh, years between 2017 and 2021, I had been in the hospital uh, about a dozen and a half times for heart arrhythmias. I have been um, electrically cardioverted, which means you know the shock paddles that you see on TV, where somebody comes in, their heart's not working correctly, and they shock them to get the heart back into rhythm. I've had that done while I was wide awake twice. Eventually, I had a, a surgery to fix that arrhythmia in my heart. I had two of those. I did both of those, mostly awake. They're not open chest surgeries. They're uh, where they put a catheter in through your leg and, you know, the instrument goes up through your arteries and goes into your heart and does a little electric probe to solve the problem in the electric circuitry of your heart. So it's, there's been a boatload of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Suck is what we expect in buds, but this is a boatload on top of boatload with instructors in the boat that you're carrying on your head. Right. So in addition to that, in the background, while we were overseas, we had a small helicopter crash. When I say small, meaning everybody survived. It, it was a very rough landing. The helicopter didn't explode or anything like that. It wasn't terrible. But we got bounced around pretty hard. I landed on my butt in the middle of the helicopter with a lot of gear on my back. Broke a few vertebrae in my back. Mm-hmm. So total, I've broken five vertebrae in my back, you know, on the thoracic spine, which are basically right behind your heart and lungs. That's caused a lot of problems. The exposure to that agent, whatever it was, we, with the doctors I've talked to, they believe most likely that it could have been sarin, uh, a nerve agent, um, and that I just received a micro dose that was enough to give me a really terrible night, but not enough to kill me. But long-term effects to nerve gas are not well known because very few people survive it. So there's been quite a bit. You described everything accurately, but there's been quite a bit more that goes on. So that's the totality of everything that I've been facing. Yeah. And there's, you, you can't miss that connection. Yeah, so over the past 16 years, if you, if you just want to sum it up, nerve gas exposure, broken back, leukemia, disease from the leukemia, uh, bone marrow transplant, disease from the bone marrow transplant, double lung transplant, heart arrhythmias, heart surgeries, uh, you know, skin cancer on my face, which you know, had to have that removed, stayed awake for that one as well. And there's been a lot of other procedures in between that are more uh, diagnostic procedures, checking out my liver, my lungs, um, had several surgeries to my eyes. There's been a, a, a truckload of things to deal with. You think you might take a break for the next few decades and stop having those things? I would like to. I would really like to try to do that. I know, I know that's not, I know that's not the, <laughs> let's make a plan. <laughs> I know that's not the case, you know, and the, the lungs I was very, very lucky to receive ha- have done me well for these past 12 years. 
there was complications with the actual surgery to get the lungs into my chest. So I didn't receive a full set of lungs. I, I got about 60% of the normal volume that you would get in lungs. Because of all the other things that have happened, I don't have the normal oxygen uptake that you would get out of that 60%. So for most of the time, it's been like I get about 30% of the uptake of the oxygen that a normal person would get in each breath. And then the medicine. Wow. And then the medicine interferes with, you know, aerobic metabolization. So working out becomes extremely difficult. In the past two years, my lungs have, an exper have experienced a, even more of a decline. So now I have only about uh, 35 to 40% of the normal lung volume that you would get. So that's about the, uh, the totality of it. That absolutely affects your lifestyle in every hour, every minute of your life. You can't, uh, I mean, you're, 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 I'm guessing you're constantly mindful of exertion, right? Basic mechanics of uh, O2 exchange. Like they I trained am. us so well in buds. You have to think about not going to run across the field to grab the dog that ran away. <laughs> exactly. Um, for me, it's, uh, I got to be careful with each flight of stairs. And sometimes, uh, there, there are weird spasms that go on, you know, in my rib cage, uh, in the supporting muscles to where I'll be walking through the kitchen and suddenly lose my breath. And I'll, I'll lose it to the point where I, I feel like, I'm starting to get lightheaded and I know, you know, you know, the better part of valor tells me to sit down because I would rather pass out while I'm sitting down than standing up and, you know, crash into the floor. Whereas if I pass out while I'm sitting down, I just lay down. So this goes back to your original point that you never know how tough you are until you have to do it. Right. And then this comes back to what we all learn in buds that you realize you don't realize how tough you are until you have to do something like hell week. And, right. You know, why I'm going in this direction is, is people ask me, well, how the hell did you do all that stuff? And it, it's, it's really awkward to say this to when people ask me, well, why do I stay awake for a heart surgery? Or how can you even stay awake for a heart surgery? It goes way back to, you know, when I was a kid, and this is where I say the awkward part, is I've had the luxury of, or, or not the maybe not the luxury, I think it's a luxury, but um, the advantage of having dealt with really difficult times. My first major injury is I dislocated my hip when I was about seven or eight years old in a football game going through wrestling. You know, when I was a kid, I quit a wrestling match when I was like eight years old. That bothered me for the rest of my life. I went to the Naval Academy. Naval Academy is difficult. Um, when I was at the Naval Academy, I, I quit a screener for a scuba school. It was the only two things I'd ever quit in my life. But those difficulties help me out. Uh, I get the buds. 
I learned not to quit from those two experiences. So I go through buds and obviously any person who ever goes through hell week, hell week will teach you more about yourself in five days than anything ever else, anything else ever could in five days, you know, save what I'm about to go through, you know, 12 years later or 16 years later, I, I get to learn how to be tougher because you don't realize how tough you can be until you have to do it when you need to do it to become what you want to be. And then, you know, at the point I went through leukemia, I was lucky because I was in extremely good shape. You know, I, I was in the teams doing everything I could to, to stay in great shape. Um, it sounds callous to say it because I know so many other people have had terrible times with cancer treatment, but I had a very easy time with the treatment for leukemia relative to what other people had. And I, I was lucky to have been afforded the ability to have had such difficult times previous to that. You know, and then we move forward to you know, the bone marrow transplant. I had to go through full body radiation twice a day standing in, in front of this big laser gun. It looked like, you remember the original um, Hulk movie with Eric Bana? Not the original when, when we were kids back in the 70s and 80s, but the, the first Hulk movie that came out with Eric Bana. Oh, Where yeah, with Lou Ferrigno. No, no, not <laughs> Lou Ferrigno was back when we were kids, right? But the one that comes out in, like, I think the late 90s. The, the TV guy. Uh, Eric Bana, the uh, Australian actor. Um, this is the movie that yes. comes out in like late '90s, maybe early 2000s. I'm not quite sure, but there's this big um, radiation machine, and it falls off the thing, and he jumps in front of the radiation machine. That's what the total body radiation was like for me. It's you're standing across the room from this giant radiation gun. God, and you don't feel anything while you're going through it, like right at the exact time. But man, a few hours later, holy crap, you feel it. And that, that total body radiation was the first thing that really, truly kicked my ass, you know, in my whole life. Like the, the first time where I was just completely humbled. I remember several hours later, I was throwing up or well, beyond throwing up, I was just heaving for hours and hours to the point where I had to go back to the hospital and I had to stay inpatient for the rest of those radiation treatments. Man, they just, there, there's no way around it. They whooped my ass. But I got through it much in the way we get through butts. You know, little by little. You know, if we want to move forward to the point where I came out of the coma, I, I was in really bad shape. You know, and there's, there's a lot of hallucinations coming out of that coma that we could talk about later that are more of the funnier, lighter side of this. Like those happy hell week hallucinations? Um, some were like the happy hell week hallucinations. Uh, like for, for instance, I do remember, you know, I used to work on farms uh, in the summer as a kid. 
So I remember at one point looking over to the window in my uh, in my room, and there was this cow who had its head through the window like a like a cow in a feeding stanchion, and it just munching on the hay that was down below the window. Uh huh. And there's people in my room with me, and I'm like, why is that cow in <laughs> in the room? How do we get a cow in here? <laughs> right. Yeah, there's a lot of good things like that, but there were some really terrible, god-awful hallucinations. Getting through all of that, getting through the point where before my lung transplant, my lungs had descended down to 13% of normal working function to the point where if I pushed myself up in bed, I'd be out of breath for minutes just to recover from that laying flat. It got so bad that I had learned later, years after, uh, that one of the nurses who had to wheel me around to another place, she said the nurses were drawing straws to see who had to take me because they were so afraid that I was going to die from going to my room where I was supported to the next test where I would be supported, that you know, in the hallway where I had little support other than an oxygen tank, that I was going to die. And I never thought of it as, as being that terrible. But it all goes back to learning how to take increasingly difficult things and learning how to do them because you have to do them if you want to accomplish your goal. And in those cases, my goal was you know, maintaining my life, trying to still be around here and still keep going and enjoy the rest of the, the time I have on earth and, and be around for my wife. So it was a, yeah, it was one hell of a difficult journey, <laughs> but I am, uh, I'm happy for it. You know, obviously I've lost a lot of things along the way, lost a lot of ability, but the knowledge, um, I've, I've gained, is something like I could probably sit here and explain this to you for three or four hours on a, on a podcast. You're never going to fully appreciate it. It would take weeks for me to explain it to you. Oh yeah. To the point where you'll get the idea of it from my perspective and, and you'll probably gain something from it as well, but you'll never know what I know. You'll never get the enjoyment mm -hmm. out of things that I get enjoyment out of and that's not to say that you know I, I have that all the time either things are not perfect sure but your perspective is so radically changed it is from all you're describing and that's perspective gratitude appreciation these are the things that those who have abundantly and don't ever experience deficit or deprivation can't experience that level of joy in life just taking the next breath yeah it's the it's the dichotomy of, of life like how can you ever know good if you don't know bad how can you know warmth if you don't know cold right you know how can you experience understand what the joy of, of sunlight is if you don't know darkness so one of the things i've observed about you over the years we've known each other from a distance is that 
Well, I think, let me caveat this. I think that we, we have talked about, in the past half hour, we've talked about stuff that we had to talk about, that had to be on the table, that had to be in the listener's mind before they could understand concepts like, like you're saying, you know, the six, five or six hours, if we did one of those podcasts, you could talk about it. You can get all the experiences out, uh, that whatever you can fit in those five or six hours, and then we'd have a glimmer of trying to comprehend what it means to be experiencing life as you do on a regular basis. But we don't have five or six hours, and the 30 minutes was essential just to get the basic framework in play to understand things like your level of appreciation for this breath that we're in right fucking now. Something that most humans can't comprehend. And you mentioned a loss of ability. I want to roll back to that real quick because, I mean, I'm 56. You know, I don't know the numbers exactly, but I, I've heard from trainers and physiologists that we men, uh, you know, we, we humans, humans age and humans uh, have a loss of something. So testosterone, body mass, muscle mass, these things, you know, muscle mass decreases at 1.5% per year starting at 30 or 40, whatever it was. These, these numbers are, they're, they're great in the science and it makes sense and I can understand it. But I also know guys who are bodybuilders in their seventies and they can maintain. So they, you know, they're overcoming that, that loss. So I think it's, it's contextual, just like you're talking about your life is it's all contextual in this, your loss of ability. I mean, at 13% of O2 capacity, being able to sit up in bed is exhausting. Understandably, what have you gained? Um, let me throw that question out there and and tease it with an idea that one the most the most the biggest thing that stands out at me, and this is not about your incredible path of the past 20, 15, 16 years. The incredible path of this difficulty does not define you. It is a huge part of who you are, but you're also a seal an academy guy, uh, a child athlete, you know, competitive, like you talked about wrestling and so forth. We're all these things. You're a husband, you're a son. And I want people to understand. I want the listener to understand that one thing I've observed about you with all of the loss we're discussing is an immense and otherwise impossibly unattainable gain of your bullshit filter is full. You don't, you, you can tolerate all this pain. You can tolerate all these, this ordeal with your eyes open and facing it, you know, in, in while, while not anesthetized, but you don't seem to tolerate bullshit at all. Am I, am I kind of aiming right on that? I mean, we've had some great conversations yeah. about people in society, how we're destroying our own society and we don't need to tolerate that shit. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And so, you know, my apologies to the audience for being a bit long-winded on describing everything there, but I think it was necessary to give everybody a, a really solid idea of where I'm coming from. Absolutely. And, and so you're asking me what I've gained uh, you know, and how my bullshit filter has become full. Uh, um, what I've gained is this perspective of what's important and what's not. And this will probably shock a lot of people um, who don't know me is that I'm atheist because most people who, who get through all of these situations, they talk about their faith and how they get through these. 
how it helps them. And I, I see that. I think it's wonderful. Um, but I'm a very um, analytical person by nature. And for some reason, I just, I don't believe. I don't begrudge anybody who does. I, I think that's fine. I mean, whatever helps you, helps you. And that, that's, that's one of the most important things is that, you know, we all have to get through things, you know, in a way that's comfortable to us. And that allows us to get through each day feeling comfortable in our own skin and in our own surroundings. But my, perhaps because of my analytical mindset, I, I am, I've been very introspective about everything I've been through and, and what matters and what doesn't. And, and so it's, I, I see so much in society where people get angry with so many things and, and I am. I am definitely guilty of, you know, being upset with certain things. But I, I think when we talk about bullshit filters, what I don't tolerate is what I have found to be as unimportant because it impedes your ability to, to be happy in life. And over all things, I found that trying to be happy is, is the most important thing. And sometimes that's really difficult. I am not happy every day. And sometimes I forget about that if I am just stuck in my own head. You know, so, you know, one of the things I've learned is that, you know, having somebody in your life who can rebalance you somebody who knows you and knows the things that you've been through is incredibly important. And it reminds me of a saying uh, that I heard of all places in the swamps of southern Louisiana bow fishing in the middle of the night. When I was about to get married, I think we're about three weeks away from our wedding, my buddy's friend you know, I told him, hey, you don't get married in three weeks. And he said, well, if you've done it right, if you made the right choice, it'll add years to your life. And it just struck me as so profound. I mean, right at that moment, it struck me as so profound. And everybody I've known who has gotten married or told me they're engaged or getting married or whatever. And I, I have repeated that phrase to all of them because this, this guy just, you know, uh, that's powerful. You know, just a good old country boy that just liked to be with his family and liked to go hunting and fishing and, and enjoy life. Yeah. I don't think he had any formal degrees, but man, his small ability, Mount of philosophy right there was one of the most powerful things I've ever heard and universally true. If you have done it right and you've chosen the right person for you and they've chosen you back, it will add years to your life. Unequivocally. 
And that's, that's the, at times I get too involved with myself and I forget to mention the importance of, of the role my wife plays in my life because she has been there from the start of it. Yeah. That's what we do as introspective types. You know, that makes sense. We got married and five months later I was diagnosed with leukemia. And mind you, before we got married, we were, we were mm. living together and Hurricane Katrina had wrecked our condo. It didn't destroy it, but it flooded it. So we had to gut it and rebuild it and everything. So we weren't even living in our own home when we got married. We were rebuilding it around us after we got married. She has been there since the very beginning and still with me along the way and understands all of it. Incredible blessing. It is. And, and, and so I, I know that that is most important. And then what comes next to me is, is you know, my, my values and my morals and how I live life. And, you know, we're getting back to this bullshit filter is that I know that those are the, the right things to stick to. And when people go off on whatever tangent it is, I'm not going to get into any specific issue. You because know, that's not really what this is about. But I have no compunction whatsoever calling people out for their nonsense. And if they don't like me, they don't like me. I don't care. Then that's not important. If they want to shun me or cast me out or, yeah, I've even gotten death threats from some people. Sure. Fine. Bring it. I'll tell you where I live if you if you're really that inclined. <laughs> <laughs> the important thing is to live life in a way that is meaningful to you. And if other people interrupt that, then call them out on their shit or cut them loose. Yeah, I, I prefer to give people a chance to to maybe try and see it differently if, if not the way I see it but for themselves and if they don't want to do it or take advantage of that fine let them be but I'm not going to let anybody interrupt me or my happiness you mentioned that the full body irradiation was I think you used the words totally humbling and after everything you'd already been through by that point, obviously, this is post-Hell Week, post a great deal of illness, post a tremendous number of uh, procedures, and now this one comes and kicks you in the balls. What do you think about that process of being totally humbled? Is there a benefit that you've received there? Is that is, is your, Does today's lifestyle, does today's way of being, Justin, benefit from having crossed that threshold and other moments of total humbling? Absolutely. I would say, you know, that experience of those three days of that radiation, especially the, the very first treatment and the time. So after I woke up from the coma and they transferred me from the one hospital to the other hospital where I could receive the bone marrow transplant, 
you know, at the first one, they were kind of giving me a pile of drugs uh, because I don't think they thought I would make it. And then when I got to the hospital where I would receive the lungs, they detoxed me cold turkey. So I went through a, a week of terrible detox and then learning how really weak I was learning and how much of a bad situation I was in that moment or not moment in those days and weeks of understanding that I needed to be able to learn how to stand again under my own power because I had lost 60 pounds since the coma uh, since I my respiratory failure and learning how to walk again and those two to three weeks of learning how to walk again were by far the god-awful most painful things days that I had to go through far worse than hell week I would take a hell month over doing that again the the total body radiation was the the first really truly humble thing that I needed to understand that I'm not invincible and that I do need to find a new way of applying myself and my my mental strength to get through something and that helped me to learn how to apply my my mind to get through learning how to walk again I'm not sure that if I didn't have that total body radiation experience, that if I just had to go straight into that uh, learning how to walk again with no lungs, that I, I would have been able to do it. So again, this goes back to you know, the current theme that I like to hit on is that I've been lucky to have had those experiences along the way, all those difficult little challenges along the way because they're progressive yeah, they're progressive they, they stack up and give you the advantage on the next yeah, one they do it, it's I, I don't know if you want to put it into today's things it's like progressing through levels of a video game you know, if you go from level one to level mm -hmm. 100 you're going to get crushed and you'll never beat level 100 but as you beat each level along the way you learn your new skills and, yeah. and you get through a completely different type of skill set just trying to put it into some understandable analogy for people younger than us. And then you've faced a series of bosses that most of us can barely imagine. Yeah, and, and at some point, it, it was like just jumping right to the direct boss, the, the top guy in the whole thing. <sighs> <laughs> I mean, and, and almost like, like nature was inventing new bosses for me to conquer because I had already broken the big ones. But again, this, this yeah. goes back to... You have to reload. <laughs> Start over. Yeah, you know, this goes back to the support of the important people around you. I, I will say there was one 24-hour period, not just one, but one in particular that, that always sticks out in my mind. That if I did not have the support of my wife there, I'm not positive I would have made it. Because there were times where I was, you know how in buds we break things down into small chunks, right? 
told you, like, ah, get through today. Don't worry about the rest of the buds. Just get through today. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes it gets through. Make the next meal yep. in, in Hell Week. Get, just the next meal. Get to the meal. next meal. And sometimes it gets down to just get through this evolution. And I, I would always approach yeah. things like that. You know, the benefit of buds gave me that outlook. So getting down to it, um, there were days where I was just getting through breath to breath, five seconds at a time. And to do that 24 hours a day for days on end or even a week, you know, a couple of weeks on end is impossible. So I would have my wife there and knowing that she had been through everything with me where she would know what to do if I just decided to go to sleep and rest for a few hours that knowing she was there with me, that she could take care of things and she could get me back up and get me into, you know, go mode if something was going wrong was an incredible thing. So it's not, it's not all me. There, there was the, the luck of circumstance of, of having been being able to be built up and, and there was an incredible luck of running into the right person and, us choosing each other as the right people that added years to my life. Wow. Yeah. Justin, you're talking about survival and about meaning and having somebody there for you and knowing that you need to survive because of, you know, whatever your motivation is. It reminds me of Victor Frankl's book, man's search for meaning the Austrian, I think, psychiatrist who survived the Holocaust, survived the death camps. And he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning, in which he says that people who survived with him had a a thing to go back to. They had a thing they had to go to after the camps, after the torment. So Victor had to tell this story. He had to tell the world how what the Nazi regime did to people and, and try to make sense of it from a psychologist's perspective. Others went back to their kids, their family, their business that they needed to to serve in their heart. They needed that. That's that sounds exactly like what you're talking about here, where you say you had this this sense of you know you you mentioned earlier in the conversation that you wanted to be there for your wife. Yes, uh, absolutely. And so I know the book well. I know Victor Frankl. In fact, I was introduced to it through a friend of mine. He knew of my situation, and his father was suffering through leukemia. Another team guy, in fact. So we were just talking, and I was trying to you know, help him process his feelings and maybe what his father was going through and, and how you know, me having been on the edge of death so many times, it may not be the worst thing for his father to pass or for him to let go of his dad. And in the course of our conversation, he recommended Victor Frankl to me because he had read it several times while his dad was dealing with the problem. So yes, I understand that. And having the ability to go back to something isn't quite necessary for survival. Not necessarily a person or a thing is necessary. It sure as hell helps. But having a thing to look forward to could just be your own life. You know, and, and realizing that in the grand cosmic scheme, we only have a certain small period here on Earth to live our lives. 
we have no idea what comes after that. So we need to take advantage of that. And sometimes, you know, a, a belief, and then this is where me personally, I, I think my atheistic views on things have helped me because I don't believe there is anything after this. So we sure as hell have to take advantage of the time we have here. And that's why, you know, I make it count. I fight for all of it that I can have. But yes, having my wife and having other things to look forward to. And gosh, to whatever the hell is next. I mean, I, as team guys, we're lucky to have all kinds of crazy experiences and get to see all parts of the world and do all kinds of neat things. I never thought I was going to go back to school for a master's degree. This is the end of session one with Justin Legg. Tune in next week for session two. Thanks for joining us on Beyond Your Limits with Rob Dubois, the podcast that helps you destroy self-limiting beliefs, unchain your potential, and create the meaningful life you were made for. For more information about Impact Actual and the Impact Unchained course, visit impactactual.com. And be sure to subscribe on Apple iTunes or wherever you like to listen so you'll never miss a show. We'll see you next time on Beyond Your Limits with Rob Dubois.